0: Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. I want to thank you for really coming and joining and worshiping with us as we begin to study the Word. I'm going to ask you to open up your text to Titus. Titus chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 15. Well, let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for today that your grace is so sufficient. Lord, that we don't need to worry We don't need to fret about what's going to happen next. Because, Lord, we know that you and and you alone are on the throne. So, Lord, this morning, we place ourselves under, again, your wings, your wings of protection. We look to you to, to guide us, to teach us through your Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. If you've turned to Titus chapter 2, follow with me as we read verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus Who gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Right there in verse 11 is where I pull the text from. The grace of God. The grace of God is what you and I need For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man boast. We often overlook this passage, the richness of this passage, and we're going to see that the apostle really is giving instructions concerning the whole church, not just those who are the leaders. But this passage applies to each and every one of us. And it begins with, in verse 11, Notice that the grace of God has appeared or brings salvation to all men. But what does the grace of God mean? Oftentimes people say it's, again, it's unmerited favor. God lavishes us with his love and grace. Why, those things are true. Let me encourage you to think about that. The grace of God is much more than a person can ever describe. It's more than just favor. In blessing that a person bestows upon one or another the grace of God is is much more than just that it it brings in this passage here brings salvation to all men see God's grace in this passage is a gift of his own son to all the world that it does not deserve it the grace of God is Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God has given his own Son. See, grace is, the grace of God is Jesus Christ, who has come in the flesh, and that grace is available to all men. It it really gives us the very heart of God. God desires that all come to that saving knowledge of him. None perish. It all come to that saving knowledge of life in fact look with me in Acts chapter four verse 12 it says there is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved not Buddha not a not the Pope, but only in the name of Jesus Christ it's his name that explains that he is the savior of the world, that he saves, Jehovah saves. And it's so important to understand, truly this God's grace is the Lord Jesus Christ who who saves a person who is, think for a moment, in rebellion against God. God died for us. Why? We were in our worst. The salvation is is made available to you, to, to me. It's to trust in him. So again... The grace of God saves the person who is in rebellion against God, who even curses God, who stands against God, who opposes God in every way, lives contrary to God, lives an ungodly life to the lonely, to the empty and the broken, those without strength, those who lack anything, any kind of need, who is without purpose and meaning in this life. See, the grace of God is made available to every person in this world, no matter what their background, no matter how they're living. It's available, but the person has to choose to receive what God has for them. See, God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, reaches down to those who have rejected God. Isn't that amazing? Many people have cursed God, shook their hands at God, yelled at God, and yet God has given His only-begotten Son for each and every person in this world. It doesn't matter whether they're doing their own thing, again, whether they ignore God, and let God pay a little attention to what God says. and the fact really is. In Romans 3.23 makes it clear, for we've all sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. So we have to be careful that we're judging and say, well, this person's worse than this person, because all have sinned. All have falls short of the glory of God. In fact, in Isaiah 53.6, I love it. It says, all of us are like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused iniquity of us all to fall upon him. See, the burden, the consequences of sin has fallen upon him. He's taken the weight that you and I could not even carry. In fact, Romans 6, 23 takes us a little further. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, notice again in that text in verse 11, so the grace of God has appeared or has been revealed. He is the grace of God. And that grace of God is virtually synonymous with the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Now that word "appeared" that you see in our text in verse 11 is where we get our word epiphany. Epiphany refers to a appearance or a manifestation. Now it's important to understand in our text here today that, that Paul speaks about two distinct epiphanies. Well, the first one, if you look in verse 11, it says the grace of God has appeared. It's in, in past tense, and it was bringing salvation to all men. Now jump down in your text. In Titus 2.13, we see he speaks about a future tense. Looking forward to the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Every believer that I know that who understands what Jesus Christ has done for them is looking for him to come today. Wouldn't this be a great day to come? To be with him in a world that there is no sin and pain and sorrow? To be able to to hug people freely as we used to, to celebrate and sing together and arms wrapping around and singing to the king. It's something that we all long for. Those that have died that is, fallen asleep in Christ, as the scripture says. They've already been caught up their spirits with the Lord, but then will be reconnected with them. I long to be there, to be with my grandparents, to see them in the presence of the Lord, to see the joy in their face. Well, again, as we look at our texts, we see that these epiphanies, these manifestations of Christ, it's interesting, they frame... This present time. We call this, the, again, the dispensation of grace. There was a dispensation of law that Israel was under, that dispensation of the law, yes. But the law has been taken away. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We rest and trust in Christ. Our salvation is based upon what God has done and not what i got to do. Can I be good enough? Can I earn it? Can I buy it? No, you can't do any of those things. But God freely has given his own son for you and for me. But in this dispensation of grace, the the world is still a mess. The whole world grieves. In fact, I'd like to read from Romans 8. A lengthy verse, it may seem, but follow the context. Paul writing again to the Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of Creation waits eagerly for the revealing of of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself is also will be set free from the slavery and the corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. And verse 22 goes on, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers and pains of childbirth together until now. Some people liken that verse right there to, to the earthquakes, that creation is groaning, just as the scripture says. It was created perfect. But then when sin entered the world, everything became corrupted in this world, and, and creation knows, and we don't understand it, this is not right so it groans. And look at verse 23, and not only this, but our, also ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of the sons, the redemption of the body, for in hope that we have been saved by the hope that is seen, not hope, for who hopes for what is already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly. See, the grace of God, one of the things it does, it, it causes you to yearn for God coming, to see him face to face, knowing that we're not going to be ashamed of his coming because we're seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. We're seeking to be with him. We're looking for what God has. So in this text, it, it, it gives us these two epiphanies, these two appearances. appearing first when he's coming, that first coming. There's appearing when he comes that second time, when he comes again in, in judgment. And this, this whole period of time, there they are like bookends that are framing this system. This period of time that we're looking at between these two epiphanies of Christ. Christ is coming, he's, he's coming again. It's a unique time, it's a special time. And God's making his grace available to every person who will call upon his name. If you've never called upon his name, today the scripture says today is the day of salvation because you don't know whether you have one more moment or not in this life you don't know if this will be the the last moment that grace is available a dj that was in los angeles many years ago was describing a scene just like that you don't know if this is the last moment you'll be here he finishes his time at work he gets in his car he's driving down the freeway in L.A. is an accident, and he's killed. As a believer, to be absent the body is to be present with the Lord, and his presence is fullness of joy. We know that. But those people that had not made that decision the night before, when he's speaking over the, the radio, he's encouraged him to come to salvation, heard what had happened. Many of them came forward and made a decision for Christ. And that's my encouragement today. If you have not chosen to receive Jesus Christ, receive the grace that's available to you. Sadly, it may be too late tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Well, the grace of God teaches us how to live. Notice with me again that the grace of God instructs us what we are to deny, things that we are to push away in life. It's there in verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Now the, the word deny is to say no, to disown, to have nothing with. We have to make that choice. He's given us the grace. We can stand firmly if we choose to. The believer here is in, in this sense is, is taught to stand firm against those natural desires of the flesh in our heart That will cause you and me to lean toward ungodliness, ungodly thoughts, ungodly actions. To simply deny this ungodliness as the scripture says. The evidence that a person really is doing this is there's a radically changed life. Now let me ask you a question. Has your life been radically changed? Now, some people don't seem to be so evil, so bad. In fact, they seem to be very good. But if they do not know Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and the scripture says it's very clear in our hearts, that our hearts are wickedly deceitful above all things, maybe hasn't manifested on the outside at this point, but in our hearts are wicked. They're deceitful. But when a person's born again, there is a radical change in their life, in their attitudes, the words they speak, the actions they do. They have a desire to serve him and to honor him, to glorify him, to exalt and praise his name. To no longer live for themselves, but to live for the king. Let me share about a man named John Newton. He experienced really such a conversion as I'm describing. He lived a godless life on the high seas and sank low. And ever running away from God, he was ever pursued by the prayers of his loved ones. God caught up with them and saved him on a heaving deck of a ship during a wild storm in the sea. He was instantly transformed. He became blessed and loved minister of the gospel and never forgot how much he owed to the grace of God. With a thankful heart, he wrote the deathless hymn, Amazing Grace. Let me read a few of those words. The amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. A grace my fears relieved. How precious did the grace appear that hour I first believed. Radically changed on that ship forever John Newton was that day. No matter where you're at in this world, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, the grace of God is reaching out to you today. He's calling you to himself. See, this is the will of God. And the person that knows what God has done is the person that's saved. There are many who make a profession. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but their life is not radically changed. Oh, it may not change on the outside, but their heart is radically changed. That person knows they've been changed. His spirit will testify with their spirit that they're a child of God. Sadly, many are going through this life deceived, deceiving themselves, thinking they're saved. Trusting they've been good enough. And no person is good enough. As I mentioned earlier, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And that eternal life is in Christ Jesus. If you have not received him to come in your life, you're you're not saved. You're deceiving yourself. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, and the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Oh, it's a favorite verse of many Christians. Oh, I'm a new creature in Christ. As if they no longer have a sinful desire in their heart. Every believer still has a desire to sin. They're tempted by sin and they'll either yield to the spirit or they'll yield to the devil, to the temptations that are within them. See, this verse is talking not about that, that you're a new creature and you no longer have these desires. and That's your position. But practically, there's a battle going on. You are victorious if you're in Christ and he will give you that power to overcome. And when you sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteous when you confess your sins. When you understand that you're a sinner, you've been separated from God, that's an evidence, again, that you're saved. John Newton recognized the How wicked is heart, the wretched man that I am. If you don't realize that God is snatching you out of that fire, and you have to let him, you're not saved. Unless you let him draw you to himself. So again, this verse here I used as a cross-reference, really, it's, it's about the position. The true believer is in Christ. But in reality, the work has just begun. It's it's, it's as if we are rolling up our sleeves and and, and there's a change inside us. God's given us the power to change. We rely upon that grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. But the question often is, what is ungodliness? Because we tend to justify our sins, say, it's okay, I, I do this. The end justifies the means it never does. Ungodliness is anything that's not like God. God is not a liar. Satan is a liar from the very beginning. So to tell a lie, it means you're practicing ungodliness. It's anything that's not holy or righteous or pure. Anything that does not honor God, either in word or deed. It's anything that does not show reverence or worship toward God. Perhaps you've heard others like me that said, you know, the man upstairs, he's not the man upstairs. He is God who created the heavens and earth who spoke the world into existence. If we have reverence for him, we will walk humbly before him. We'll recognize he is not And man, certainly Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man, that's in his humanity. But he was without sin. Man and every other man is a sinner. So ungodliness, again, is anything that simply doesn't obey God. Anything that you do that violates his commandments, that goes against his will. And many say, I'm not under the law, I don't keep his commandments. You're in trouble. Well, we're not under the law, that's true. You are under a law, a higher law, the law of love. Anything that is not loving, anything that's not motivated by law, anything that's not esteeming others higher than yourself is selfishness and it's sin and it separates you from God. It's your sins, your iniquity that separates you from God. You need to confess. You need to repent. You need to get right with God. You need to recognize your own heart. Well, see, this grace of God, who is Jesus Christ, when we see his life, that alone should convict us. People used to wear these bracelets, even rings. What would Jesus do? And that's really a good thing to think about. What would Jesus do? If Jesus wouldn't do that, Jesus wouldn't be caught going places that we may go, we shouldn't be doing those things because those are ungodlike. So this grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and, and give up and turn away from everything that is ungodly and simply doesn't honor or praise God. But the question arises, what did Paul mean by worldly desires? Christism said the the worldly things are the things which do not pass over with us into heaven, but are dissolved together with this present world. What goes with you to heaven? Your spirit. This body will not go with you, but your spirit the things that you have done for the glory of God, those good deeds, there's a record of them. In heaven, those who go forward. So again, these worldly desires do not fit in with heaven. And anything that that we would be ashamed of in this present time that we're latching on to, lusting for, desiring... These are worldly desires. These are desires that draw us away or push us away from God. Desires and lusts that the world stirs in us. That you deserve this. You can have this. He who has the most toys wins. And we turn away from these worldly desires. We turn to Jesus Christ. To do what we should not do as a worldly desire. If you know the right thing, you do not do it. It's, it's sin. To get more than we give. God has given you that you might give away. You cannot outgive God. To be selfish. To be vicious. We should be sacrificial and kind. To be sensual and immoral is a sin. We should be able to discipline and be pure in our motives and our thoughts. But anything that's sensual and moral that does not honor God is, is a worldly, fleshly desire. Ungodliness is anything that's not like God. God is not a liar. Satan is a liar from the very beginning. It's anything that's not holy or righteous or pure. Anything that does not honor God, either in word or deed, it's anything that does not show reverence or worship toward God. Perhaps you've heard others like me that said, you know, the man upstairs, he's not the man upstairs. He is God who created the heavens earth who spoke the world into existence. If we have reverence for him, we will walk humbly before him. We'll recognize he is not a man. Certainly Jesus is the God-man. Fully God and fully man. That's in his humanity. But he was without sin. Man and every other man is a sinner. So ungodliness again is anything that simply doesn't obey God. Anything that you do that violates his commandments that goes against his will. And many say, I'm not under the law. I don't keep his commandments. You're in trouble. But we're not under the law. That's true. You are under a law, a higher law, the law of love. Anything that is not loving, anything that's not motivated by law, anything that's not esteeming others higher than yourself is selfishness and it's sin and it separates you from God. It's your sins, your iniquity that separates you from God. You need to confess. You need to repent. You need to get right with God. You need to recognize your own heart. Well, see, this grace of God, who is Jesus Christ, when we see his life, that alone should convict us. People used to wear these bracelets, even rings. What would Jesus do? And that's really a good thing to think about. What would Jesus do? If Jesus wouldn't do that, Jesus wouldn't be caught going places that we may go. We shouldn't be doing those things because those are ungodlike. So this grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and, and give up and turn away from everything that is ungodly and simply doesn't honor or praise God. But the question arises, what did Paul mean by worldly desires? The things that you have done for the glory of God, those good deeds, there's a record of them in heaven, those who go forward. So again, these worldly desires do not fit in with heaven. And anything that, that we would be ashamed of, In this present time, that we're latching on to, lusting for, desiring. These are worldly desires. These are desires that draw us away or push us away from God. Desires and lusts that the world stirs in us. That you deserve this, you can have this. He who has the most toys wins. Fruit of the Spirit, fruit being singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Those things, I believe, that follow describe what love looks like. This love is full of joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, there's the word I want. Self-control. Self-control. He goes on against such things there is no law. The person who's walking in the Spirit will exercise with all of these things self-control. Control. You won't take advantage of people. You won't manipulate people. You won't, you won't take things that are not yours. Well, let's look at the next word. That's righteously. It simply means doing what's right. And we find ways to get around, but it, it's deciding to do what's right. And if I would have continued down that path, I go from darkness to more darkness to more darkness. Well, doing what's right is treating others like what you would like to be treated. It speaks of a call to goodness of, toward mankind. It's just being kind and caring and loving toward others. Again, it's not being selfish by hoarding or by the world die, starvation, disease, war, and evil, and sin. Certainly this word makes sense here not being selfish by hoarding. I noticed a toilet paper in one place that went from $38 to to $64 because the people are hoarding. We focus on today, one day at a time. We know that God will provide our needs. We put ourselves under the, the wings of the Almighty because he will provide and care for us. See, everyone has a responsibility to do what's right. That's everyone. No one is an exception. See, if they're well off, physically, materially, they're to treat others with righteousness and goodness, the way they want to be treated. But if they're needy and poor and destitute and hungry, diseased and lonely and bedridden and sinful, we're to do the right thing toward them and meet their needs. I remember being in the Philippines one time. We were staying with a family that really didn't have anything. And they took all their money and they provided this wonderful meal for six of us that just lavished us with, with their love and grace. They couldn't afford it, but they were giving of themselves. And when we left, we left uh, some money in an envelope for them because we wanted to extend that grace to them. Again, as I mentioned time and time again, true biblical Christianity is, is giving ourselves away. It's just being a blessing. It's not about receiving just that blessing. We receive that grace, that's true. But now that you receive the grace of God, go out and be a blessing to others your neighbors, your workplace. Well, the word godly here we look at next means to be like God. To live as God would on this earth. To do what Jesus would do. To live in this awareness and and consciousness that God's living in my heart. He knows my thoughts. And when thoughts pop in my mind or I, I want to do certain actions that I can talk to him, be aware of him that he's speaking to me and guiding me and instructing me. He's living within our very body of every believer. He's come into our lives that our bodies are the temple of God. He's living and moving and having one's being in God. Have you ever saw somebody in a a crowd, whether it's at a a marketplace or a concert, and you just look at this family, you look at a a person, you see there's something different about them. And you find out later they were Christian. See what the Holy Spirit does is if, if he had a highlighter, he highlights that person that you can see and you see God in him, Christ in him. And the question always arises for me, do people see Christ in me? Do they see that, that I love God and I love others? I don't think there could be any greater words than that when, when I'm buried and if they put me in the ground, they had a tombstone and said, and he loved God and he loved others. The evidence that Christ Jesus is living in their hearts. Living like God says to live and obeying him at all things. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, it says, for a time will come when they, when they will not endure sound doctrine or teaching is what that means, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Sadly, I think this describes the world around us. There's many that, that used to say we're a, a Christian country, but there's no evidence of that attitude, that, that life in them. As long as things are going good, they'll, they'll, they'll praise him, they'll acknowledge him, but when it's not, they, they turn away. They want people to give them a message, a, a positive message that's encouraging. Oh, I feel good about myself. When you do the right thing, when you live as God, There's a peace in your heart that passeth all understanding. When you're going through a trial or time of testing and you latched on to God, you realize that your faith is real. There's a peace. There's a joy that floods your heart. Well, the grace of God teaches us something else. We see that in verse 13. The grace of God instructs us what to look for. Looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Now I know if we were all gathered here together and here, amen, we're looking for it. We're ready for Him to, to be with Him. We're longing for Him. There's, there's excitement. Because we look at this world, there's evil and wickedness. It's getting worse, and the selfishness, and the greed, and the self centeredness. People want them to tickle their ears. But it's this longing that we fix our eyes on the author and the finisher of faith. So this blessed hope, this appearing, the second epiphany of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting as we look for them, Jesus Christ. It's not two different things. See, that blessed hope is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shall appear in all of his glory and majesty Can you imagine what that's gonna be like to see him face to face? see his glory? To be amazed? We're looking for that blessed hope. Just to think that he's coming. He's coming for you and me individually and again corporately at the same time. That's amazing. He comes to see us. Now that word blessed means to be filled with happiness. Happy is he, but it doesn't stop happiness. And the original meaning, it means prosperity or richness, benefits of the highest good. To be in the presence of the one who owns this whole world. It's not about things. It's not just, just being blessed. That's enough just to see him and be blessed by him. But, but God has so much more for you and me that I could ever imagine a world where there's no sin. It's beyond anything that you and I could ever imagine in this life. And, it, it, and it's something that, that a believer understands. He's longing to be with the king. Paul speaking about it in Philippians says, you know, the better thing is to go and be with the Lord, but I know the needful thing is to stay with you now. There's a time that God's going to call every one of his believers home to be with him. We are the bride of Christ. And that amazes me, that, that illustration. Again, speaking from a Galilean wedding, that Jesus speaking to the disciples so they would have understood. John fourteen three says this, I go and prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I, I wouldn't have told you. I receive you to myself for where I am, there you will be always. And God does not lie. He's coming. We're, we're, we're looking for that longing. In some cases, for, for some people, while we're in between these two epiphanies, it, it speaks of the rapture for the church. Let me show you First Thessalonians 4, 17. Then we who are alive and remain to be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord forever. No longer a sinful world, a world without any sin, a world full of joy and peace and love and goodness. No wonder I say the best is yet to come. When you begin to ponder and think on these things, again, speaking about that resurrection, look with me on 1 Corinthians 15 verses 42 and 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is showing a perishable or sowing, excuse me, a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's so in a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. He's talking about those who have been buried. One day you and I are going to be in that great day, that resurrection, caught to be in a body fashion for eternity. In fact, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three, moving a little forward, it says, "For this perishable." must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. You can't enter into that next world. This has to be dissolved in a new body, fashioned for eternity. No pain, no suffering. You will be made whole and complete and without sin, praising the Lord. I love what Paul writes to the Philippians, Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has even subject to all things. So again, this body is going to disappear. We're going to have a new body. We're going to We're waiting for the the Lord to come. Our citizenship's not here. We, We know our home is in heaven. That's what we're longing for. This is what he said. Fix your eyes upon the heavenly things. Fix your eyes upon the fact that Jesus Christ is coming for you and he's coming soon. But this is not really true for everyone. Sadly, because the choices that people make. Now, The return of Jesus Christ will mean a glorious remaking of the heavens and the earth. And the believer, well, they'll receive, again, a a perfect world of love and joy and peace, etc. But again, for many, 2 Peter 3.10 explains what it will be like for them. But the day of the Lord will be like a thief in the night. That day of the Lord is time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time of judgment that's coming upon this world. "...in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with the intense heat, the earth, its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought we be in holy conduct, and godliness? Looking in verse 12, it says, "...for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because that which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with the intense heat." But according to his promise, we're looking for a new heaven, a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. That's interesting. I, I think for a moment, the Jehovah Witnesses in, in Revelation 7, it talks about 144,000. It lists 12,000 from this tribe, and it lists all the 12 tribes. 144,000, they'll go out and evangelize the world. And they are going to inherit the earth is what the Jehovah Witnesses. They're the 144,000. They're going to inherit the earth. This corrupt, diseased world, they can have it. What does this world offer? What does this world have for us? Nothing. But it's a a new heaven, a new earth without sinful desires and, and a corrupted world, a corrupted society. Everything that God had for Adam and Eve, but they chose not to walk with God, but in rebellion. And God loved them so much, he made provision for them. God has also made provision for you and me, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ who's coming again. That's why we, we look for this, for the Lord to come. We long for him to come. We long for this world. Notice with me in verse 14, we notice that the grace of God uh, is seen in the the death of Christ. It says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Now that word redeem doesn't mean as much for people today. It meant to purchase, again, freedom, either from slavery, from pirates, or kidnappers. It was well understood in the Old Testament. In fact, if you think back in, in the book of Genesis, Joseph was thrown in a pit and they sold his brothers. He became a slave. Here, Jesus Christ died for you and me. To pay the price you and I couldn't pay, he wanted to set us free. It was common metaphor in Paul's day that Jesus Christ gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness. And evil. He puts these new desires in our heart. We truly do put off ungodliness and unrighteousness. We want to be God like in every way. He sets us free from the bondage of sin. We've been given this liberty. And I think, again, sometimes people misunderstand what the scripture is teaching this liberty. People say, well, I can do this and I can do that, and I have this freedom. Certainly you can. But I believe the liberty when you're set free is no longer to sin. No longer to do things that would tempt somebody else, stumble somebody else. We have the choice now to sin or not sin. When the world is doing what comes natural... The church is sometimes angry at the world while they're just doing what's natural. That's what you and I did before we became a believer. But when you become a believer, your eyes are opened up. The grace of God begins to teach you what to deny, the things that you're to do, and that you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's so important to understand. He set you free from this bondage of sin. You no longer have to sin. In fact, when you sin now, you choose to be selfish. I choose to be selfish. But hopefully we do it less and less as we're washed with the water of the word as we go through this word. Our great God and Savior has broken every chain of sin and death that you can have life and have abundant life in this world right now. No matter what the world is going through, you can have peace. His perfect love cast out all fear. We have this confidence that he's coming for us soon. We have our eyes fixed upon the author, the finisher of our faith. Again, as I mentioned earlier, the wages of sin is death. This is where this world is heading without Christ Jesus. But God offers this free gift of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But the choice is theirs. And the way that we live our life is so important because they need to see Christ in us. Well, again, look at Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become the curse for us. Where it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. Speaking of that cross, he bore the curse for every person in this world, no matter where they're at, no matter what generation, if they'd only receive the grace of God. And again, if you have not made that choice today to receive the grace of God, now is the time of salvation. It simply means that you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. Now, Romans 5.8 says this, But God's demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're to simply tell people what Jesus Christ has done for us as well as for them if they choose to receive it. Acts 5.20 says, Go and stand and speak to the people in the temple in the whole message of this life. Now, again, they were to go and speak in the temple. Speak where the people, go, where the people are and speak. Look for those opportunities. If someone's talking about a rainbow, how beautiful. Do you know that rainbow is mentioned in the Bible and you talk about the grace of God? Well, the next thing we're called to do is to to exhort people in the the grace of God. It means, again, as I mentioned, is to, again, encourage people. Imagine every one of us today need encouragement in some way. It used to be sometimes we could wrap arms around and we will again, very soon again. But people are lonely. People are separated. They're empty. They seem to be without purpose and discouraged and distressed and without hope. And some have no jobs. But the reality is that God's still on the throne. God will keep us until that day. He he will provide in ways that you and I could never, ever imagine. He'll teach us to be wiser stewards of what we have. I know that God is using this in a way that, again, never been used before, where the gospel is literally going to all points on the earth through social media. People are hearing the gospel like never before. Now, speaking about Christ again coming, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. I'm not going to teach that passage, but the idea is, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. Son, it meant the, the world is ready. And the world today is ready to hear about Jesus Christ. So many are ready like never before. To have your family that's unsaved tune in, listen to privacy of their home where they don't feel they're being preached at. They can turn it off if they need to. But knowing that God can reach down and save them. I think of Raul Reese and the horrible life that he lived, he was a killer in the military, sent on any mission, he wasn't afraid to die, and one day he was going to kill his wife. Pacing back and forth, waiting for her to come home, and, and the TV was on, and he heard Chuck Smith. Heard Chuck Smith just teaching the word of God, and he broke down in tears and received the Lord Jesus Christ, and his whole life was radically changed. No matter where you're at, God can radically change your life if you only give your life to him. If you sincerely confess your sins and ask him to come into your life, he will come in your life and he will change you. He will clean up the inside of your life. Look with me again, First Timothy 4.13, until I come, give attention to the, the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Understand that the word of God needs to be read. That's why we read it. That's why I repeat it so many times. The power is not in me. The power is in the word of God and God's word does not come back void. Sometimes it's sowing seeds. Sometimes it's watering and washing, preparing you and then at some point you make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ. But do not harden your heart today. 2 Timothy two, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reproof, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. This was given to Timothy, but I believe it's true and applies to every one of us. Whether it be family or friends, put in a place, you're sitting next to somebody in, in a, a booth at a restaurant, as I did in the past, and while we can't do it today, we will soon again. Seize those opportunities that God gives you. It may be with your neighbor out in your front yard, and they're in the front yard, you're talking back and forth across the yard. Seize the opportunity. Say, Lord, open their hearts that they might hear the truth of who you are. Now, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, Not forsaking our own assembling together is a habit of some have. Doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. There's no question the day is drawing near and closer. It's true that we can't meet as we normally did but that time is coming again. But you can meet. You should be taking a person that you're close to and calling them daily and praying for them, letting them talk whatever they need to talk and then end it with a prayer. Encouraging one another. Reminded him that, that he's still on the throne, that we don't need to worry, we don't need to fret. We're to know the word and be able to let the Holy Spirit speak through us. See, there's no excuse for men rejecting the, the grace of God in their sin. God has given everyone a moral com- compass in their heart. They know what's right and what's wrong. We simply sometimes have to say, not nastily, but, but kindly, lovingly, you know, that's sin. I was blind, but now I see. And I pray that you will come to that same saving knowledge. God has done so much for us in, in, in Christ Jesus, his son. We have so much to tell. But I don't know how to share the God. Tell them what God has done in your life and what he's still doing. A man's a fool to reject eternal life. The glorious redemption, and the hope which is in Christ Jesus. Psalm says twice in the Psalm says, he's a fool. A man is a fool who says there's no God. They can say it all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that he is God, he spoke all things into existence, and he's coming again. Men at times need to be rebuked, encouraged. But remember, it's the Holy Spirit that will do the work in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience and long-suffering. Lord, we know that you are coming again. And we're so thankful that you hadn't come, that we could receive you before you come. And we pray for our friends, our family, those that we love and we care about, about those that we don't even know. Lord, we want, when we're in heaven, to be praising you with people that seem to be so far away from you. But Lord, they've come to know you. And together we'll rejoice at your coming. We long to honor you in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you.